You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. We'll be in the Luke passage tonight, so go ahead and flip back there if you don't mind. It's always a relief when you draw the easy passages to preach. That's a joke. Um, This passage is a tough one for us, I think, in 2019 in the Western world more generally. Even the other miracle passages like Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus drawing Lazarus out of the tomb are a little bit easier, I think, for us to sort of pull into our own lives than this passage about the legion of demons. Um, Especially because most of us in our daily lives, have a fair amount of experience with bread and with death. Um, However, outside of the Anthony Hopkins movies I've seen, I don't have a ton of experience with demons, and uh, I imagine the situation is similar for you. So I think there might be a temptation to sort of write this episode off as a neat story about something Jesus did once to just show his power over evil. Um, but that doesn't mean much for us who are not demon-possessed. I think it's a mistake to read the story this way. I think something much bigger is going on here. This is a thick passage. A lot's packed in to these 14 or so verses, but a lot's left out as well. A lot of the questions we want to ask of this passage aren't answered. Where did the demons come from? Why are they in this man? Was he messing around with Ouija boards or having a casual Friday night seance? Or did they sort of jam their way into him on their own accord? We don't really know. Why do the demons hate to be out of bodies? Why can't they just start floating around again? Why are they headed into the pigs? And perhaps most importantly, what does Jesus have against pigs? Um, For better or for worse, Luke doesn't answer these questions. There's a reason for that, I think. Something much more general is going on here than just uh, how to get a legion of demons out of people 101. In fact, I think there are at least three elements of this story that show or teach us things about Jesus, things about ourselves, and things about what Jesus has done for us. So as we dive in in earnest here, I wonder if you would pray with me and for me. Father, now call us out of our wandering. Jesus, now come and cast out our fear. Spirit, now preach the Son to our deafness and open our hearts. Open our hearts. Amen. So this passage begins with Jesus and his disciples headed out to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Now, Jesus and the boys have been in Jewish country for some time now, and this is home for them. They're hanging out and living with people who are pretty much the same as them. They eat the same foods, they wear the same clothes, listen to the same music, watch the same Netflix movies. But now, Jesus and his disciples are headed out of their comfort zone. They're headed to the land 
of the Gerasenes where they're going to encounter a completely different culture. This is Gentile country, and Jesus and his disciples don't have much in common with these people. They don't wear the same clothes. In fact, there's some indication they don't even speak the same language. Um, They don't listen to the same music, and perhaps most importantly, they don't worship the same God. The Gentiles in this region worship multiple gods, none of them being the one true God of Israel. So they're headed out to a place that's pretty much the exact opposite of where they're comfortable, okay? This is an intentional move. You don't just head to the land of the Gerasenes if you're Jesus and his disciples because you need to run down to the convenience store to snag some unleavened bread for your Sabbath dinner on Friday evening, okay? Jesus is headed to this place intentionally. He's going here with a purpose. See, Jesus has his eyes set on someone or something in the land of the Gerasenes. So he and the disciples head that way. See, Jesus is in pursuit. This is my first point. Jesus is in pursuit of a man out there who's in dire straits. The direst of straits, we might say. When we read about where exactly this man with all these demons is living, you get kind of a spooky vibe, right? Like you maybe picture the elephant graveyard from The Lion King. You can almost feel the cool, damp breeze blowing across this man's skin. You can picture maybe the skulls and dry bones that are sort of strewn around him or maybe even see a few insects or rodents kind of scurrying along the dry, cracked ground where this man is living. And yet, here is Jesus, the Son of God, right alongside this man who has all these demons and is living among the tombs. Jesus, before he's even come to the land of the Gerasenes, has set his gaze on this man and has said to himself, You are mine, and I am coming after you. In fact, I won't stop pursuing you until I've brought you to myself. See, even if it takes Jesus being made unclean by being around all these corpses, even if it takes Jesus crossing land and sea, Jesus is in pursuit of this man before he even has any idea who Jesus is. Now, this is much more than just a standalone story in the life of Jesus. The Son of God meeting with this man isn't an isolated incident. This story reveals something to us about who exactly Jesus is. See, Jesus is the one who pursues broken and sinful people. So what that means, if you're broken and sinful, and you are, and I am, uh, just ask Paul or Isaiah, who say that there is no, there's none righteous, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If this describes you then you're the perfect candidate to receive Jesus' grace and mercy. You are exactly the person who Jesus is pursuing. Whether or not you're a Christian, Jesus is pursuing you this evening. As his word comes forth to you and what we've already read and sang and what we'll read and sing later today, he's speaking to you 
telling you something about who you are and something about who he is. Jesus, the same person who was with God in the beginning and who is God himself, came to earth so that you would have faith in him, so that you would receive not only eternal life, but life to the fullest even now. Jesus crossed much more than land and sea to get to you. Jesus became much more than simply unclean for a time in his pursuit of you today. Jesus left the glory that he had with the Father and the Spirit before time began. He became a man and he died and rose again in pursuit of you. His interaction with the Gerasene demoniac shows us that Jesus, in his nature, deep in his gut, is the kind of God who pursues people. Not the kind of God who is separate from your experiences, from your troubles, from your tribulations, and from your successes and joys. Jesus is the kind of God who is in pursuit of his people. So maybe that's you today. Maybe this evening you feel Jesus tugging on your heart for the first time, for the 50th time, or for the 500th time. If that's the case, perhaps Jesus is in hot pursuit of you this evening. Jesus pursues broken and sinful people, for sure, but Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus also purifies broken and sinful people. Imagine this demon-infested man with me for a quick second. What do you see in your mind's eye as we read this text? You got this guy who is chained up, right? You can feel the cold metal against his wrists and his ankles. He's torn all his clothes off like a million times over. Apparently he's given to sort of dipping out into the desert for a time or two. Maybe he's foaming at the mouth. And finally, these demons say something. They speak out of him and they say, don't torment me. Now, this man doesn't just have one demon in him. Probably would be bad enough. He's got thousands of demons in him, according to Mark's account. This man is completely trapped, can do nothing of his own accord. He's bound by these demons and chained up with these chains to the side of a cave. He can't go anywhere. And even if he could, he's a menace to society. Nobody wants anything to do with this man. And what's even worse is that he can't do anything to get himself exercised or unbound by either these demons or these chains. The demons have full control of this man such that this is the only thing we know about this man. It's a little bit objectifying. We don't know what his name is. We don't know what he did for a living before he got chained up here in the hills. We don't know who his family is, who his parents might be, or who his sisters and brothers or perhaps children might be. These demons have such full control of this man that that's all we need to know about him. So Jesus sends these demons into pigs, right? They start with, don't torment me. Even though it's 2,000 on one, these demons know who has the power. Now, these pigs run down a steep bank and drown in the ocean. And not surprisingly, word spreads of what's happened to this man. Guy used to have all these demons. 
And now he's sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and in his right mind. Imagine the shock on everyone's face when they see this man sitting with Jesus. See, Jesus has not simply pursued this man. Jesus has purified this man. Jesus has taken this man's chains and the demons which had enslaved him and made them no more. Jesus has cleansed this man. He's justified him completely. In fact, if we are to use Paul's language from Colossians 1, we might say that this man was once alienated, was once hostile in mind, and once did only evil deeds continually every day of his life. And yet now he's been reconciled to God by what Jesus will do in his death and resurrection in order to present this man holy, blameless, and without accusation before God. So if it's not clear yet, you are the demoniac. I am the demoniac. In this story, we all play the role of the man chained up and bound by sin, by demons. Probably not demons for us, but definitely by sin before Jesus purifies us. Before Jesus purifies us, we're exactly like this man. We're filthy, we're sinful, we're cut off from God. We can do nothing to exercise ourselves. We do not have the key to get out of these chains. We are totally trapped and utterly helpless. And yet, as Jesus pursued this man and freed him from his bondage, he does the same for us. Just as we were at once far off, alienated from God, hostile in mind and doing only evil deeds continually, Jesus has reconciled us to the Father. Having died to pay the debt that you owe and that I owe, and having risen to justify you and me, Romans 4.25, Jesus presents you clothed in his own righteousness, not because of anything you've earned, but because of something that he has given to you freely and without price. See, you can't justify or reconcile yourself to God just as this man couldn't free himself from the chains or from his demons, okay? It takes Jesus coming to earth to die this horribly grisly death and to rise again to to purify you and to purify me. Look at this Jesus in this story. Look at the God-man who invites this demon-infested guy to sit at his feet. Will this Jesus reject you if you come to him? He loves you so much that he left the glory he had with his Father and the Spirit to come to earth to become sin, even though he had never sinned, so that you might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Jesus here is speaking softly to this man, meek enough to care for him at his feet after this horribly traumatic event when no one wanted anything else to do with him. And yet this same Jesus is powerful enough to save this man. He's powerful enough to break his chains to send these demons out of him into the pigs and then into the water. So when you feel like you're not good enough or if you think 
You don't know the things that I've done, the words that I've said, the thoughts that I've thunk. Look at this Jesus who invites this horribly filthy man to sit at his feet, who crosses land and sea, who crosses heaven and earth to come to you today to invite you to sit right at his feet. When you feel like there's a fog that just won't ever lift, look at this Jesus before you look at your circumstances or before you look inside of yourself. So Jesus pursues us, he purifies us, and he also propels us. Admittedly, propel is a little bit of a reach, but you got two points that start with P. Feels like you really got to make three. Um, So the man tries to get back in the boat with Jesus and head back to Galilee with them. And Jesus, sort of awkwardly, as we read this story, says, can't come. You've got to stay here. And uh, go proclaim what's happened to you in the town from which you have come. And so the man responds by proclaiming throughout the whole town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, if you have a tender conscience, or maybe even if you don't, don't read this as Jesus saying, go do this or else. Okay, this is not Jesus telling this man, for your salvation to cash in, you've got to go proclaim what's happened to you in the city that you came from. That's not what's happening here at all. No, Jesus is commissioning this man. He's sending him back into the town to speak of what's been done for him. Right, This man is nothing but overflowing with joy. He's just been in this massive bondage, and now he's been set free completely. He can't help but just exclaim what's happened to him. Right, this A year ago, I had nasal surgery, could breathe through my nose for the first time in years, and I couldn't stop talking about it for a year. Same thing here. Jesus is saying, this amazing thing has happened to you. Go talk about it. Jesus is also inviting this man when he propels him into deeper, more meaningful personal relationship with him. Can you imagine this man rolling back into town and people saying, whoa, you know, like we got to cross the street when that guy's coming down because he's got like a million demons. Um, Now, (laughs) now he's fully clothed and in his right mind. Now people are saying, hey, weren't you, guy, weren't you the guy up in the cave? You know, the chains and the demons and the pigs and whatever. And now this man gets to say, yes. And let me tell you about the person who saved me. And no one else wanted anything to do with me. Every time this man tells this story, he's thinking about the person of Jesus and what this person has done for him. The beauty and the excellency of this very Jesus who left his throne in heaven to come save not only this man, but you and me. Jesus is propelling us into a life of love and communion with him that overflows with joy to the point that the outgrowth of your relationship with the Lord Jesus is simply just public in nature. So we get a taste in this passage of what Jesus is propelling us toward, right? 
especially from an individual perspective. But Jesus is also propelling us towards something even greater. Jesus purifies this man, but doesn't quite make him perfect. This man will undoubtedly go off and sin again. Um, Jesus gets rid of these demons, but doesn't send them back into the abyss. He sends them into some pigs, and presumably these demons, when the pigs die, find something else to inhabit. In fact, the people who hear about this, they watch this whole scene play out, none of them become Christians. Their reaction is not one of acceptance or being united by faith with Jesus. They all kind of wig out, right? They say, get out of town. We don't want you here. This is crazy stuff going on. We are not into this. The demons were enough. We don't need any other part of that. So they are terrified of Jesus, and they seem to reject him on the spot. What about the rest of the story? What are we building toward here? Where does this fit in the whole puzzle of redemption? Especially as Jesus pursues me and pursues you every day as he purified us at a point in the past and continues to conform us to his image as he propels us outward. How does this all fit into this grand story? Especially since there's still so much evil and sin in the world and even in my own life and I imagine probably in yours too. We read the end of the story today. For this same Jesus, this very same Jesus, the one who cast out these demons and who reconciled this man, who reconciles you and me to God, apart from any of our works, right? Apart from any job you have, any car you drive, any grade you get, apart from anything you could ever do, this Jesus is the one who reconciles us to God. He is the one who tells us what the end of this story looks like. He says in Revelation chapter 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This Jesus, both meek and powerful, both tender and will come riding on a cloud to judge all unrighteousness one day. This Jesus pursues you, He pursues me, he purifies us, and he propels us all toward this end. Toward a day when we'll no longer be separated from him. Toward a day when there will no longer be sin or sorrow. Toward a day when there will no longer be sickness or death. But instead, we'll live with him in perfect harmony. These words, friends, his words, are trustworthy and true. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.